morning. Um, if I haven't met you, my name's Bert Young, and uh, I served as pastor of this congregation along with Dave Armstrong and then uh, Pastor Greg DeMay for a number of years, and now continue to serve here with Rev as the uh, care department working for Lisa Capazzoli, the best boss in the whole world, and um, just enjoying ministry and life and retirement. It's great. I hope and pray you get to live that long and enjoy it as much as Celia, my wife, and I have. We've been spending seven weeks together in the book of James. Rev has been walking us through the uh, James, and it just has occurred to me over and over again as I've been listening to him and sort of tracking these sermons, how much of James' concern has to do with speech patterns, that is, what we say, how we say it, when we say it, and why we say it. The challenge of preaching James is not so much understanding what he means. You get what he means. I mean, it's like he just hitches right between the eyes so practically that you can't escape it. The challenge is to really let those words sink into life and change you so that when James, for example, has told us that we just can't be people who are all talk and no action, I get what that means, but is that who I am? And when he says, we, we just can't be a people who talk out of both sides of our mouths. I mean, sometimes it's this way, sometimes it's that way, sometimes it's yes, sometimes it's no. He said, we ought to have a clear, single direction in our speech so that people know they can, they can count on the things we say. I get what he means, but the question is, is that the way that I'm living? And isn't it true that often the, the inner turmoil in me, the quarreling and the fighting and the arguing, expresses itself verbally? so that the things that are stirring inside of me come spilling out in language that's hard to control and hard to manage. James really, really cares about how we talk, how we talk to each other, how we talk to this world. We need to pay attention to it. And we're going to this morning add two more thoughts to speech patterns that we as a believing community want to develop. We are all at Elmhurst Church, and I love this. There's a clarity of focus in our ministry here. We are all about helping you know Jesus. And if you don't know him, there would nothing would make us happier than to introduce you to that one person who has changed all our life, right? The one who can do for us what no one else has ever done can make you a new man, a new woman. We would love to do that for you. And if you know Jesus, we would hope and pray that God would give you the opportunity with all of us to become more and more like Jesus. And that's really the focus of this series of messages, adopting Jesus' perspective on life. And if we become more and more like Jesus, the assumption is that we're going to be serving as Jesus. We will find our place in the church community and in the world as servants of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. James, who wrote this book, who is really concerned about our speech, we believe was Jesus' younger brother. Can you imagine what it was like to listen to Jesus, to watch Jesus, to have a perfect older brother? Your family figure you're perfect, right? That's kind of like what the oldest are about. They're the perfect kids, and everybody who comes after them sort of has to be like them. Well, but I know we know it's not true, but for James it really was true. How many times when they're sitting at the table did Jesus have to look at James and say, Really? How's that working out for you? Or, Really? It must be hard for you to have to live that way. 
He didn't say with a, a, a spear to cut him down. I mean, Jesus doesn't have that kind of speech. Read the New Testament. That's not how he talks to people. He can be critical. He can certainly point out those things in life that need to change. But Jesus never cut people down with his language. He never slandered anybody. He was never presumptuous in his language. He did it all perfectly. And so if we want to be like him, we want to adopt his speech patterns. And the two speech patterns we're going to talk about this morning are those that James centers in on in chapter 4. First, the sin of slander, and slander is a sin. I know sometimes it's true, and I know sometimes it's fun, but it is a sin. And we're going to talk about the sin of presumptuousness. And the question is, why these two sins, and why these two sins now? Well, if you look back a little more in the book of James, chapter 4, the first verses, and we talked some about this last week, you read that James is really dealing in those verses with a sin of pride, right? God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And then in verse 10, he says, humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. James is concerned about humility. Humility is seeing ourselves and our world and our life and the church and everybody from God's perspective. It is putting God above me. It is putting others above me. It is putting life ahead of me. Humility is adopting God's perspective on life. Now, if we adopt God's perspective on life, we have to confront two forms of speech that can undermine humility and are an indication of arrogance. And the first is the sin of slander. Look what James says about it. Brothers, he says, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against his brother or judges him speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you're not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There's only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy, but you, who are you to judge your neighbor? The first word is brother, the last word is neighbor, bracketing the thoughts that there is no one in this world we have the freedom to slander. Nobody in our family, nobody in our family of faith, nobody in our community, nobody in the world. Slander is a sin against humanity, a sin that we as believers can and should not indulge in. Why would we slander someone? You know what it means, right? Slander is to speak against someone in such a way as to cut them down. Your kids get this, right? Put down humor, cutting humor. Look, I was raised with seven brothers and sisters, and I was right in the middle of the pack, number four. And when you're in the middle of the pack or toward the end, you got to find your way to kind of create a little space for yourself. I mean, how are you going to move up to number? You, you can't do it biologically. So you find these ways of maybe taking other people who are a little ahead of you and cutting them down just enough so that you kind of bump out ahead of them. And sometimes in our family, a lot of times that was laughing and teasing and all of that. But every once in a while, you know, it got to be a bit nasty and you knew that somebody was jockeying for position because of something wrong in themselves. There is this pride. I got to be better than you. And to be better than you, I got to make you worse than me. And I can make you worse than me or at least appear to be worse than me by saying something about you that makes me look good and you look bad. So when you, when you begin saying sentences in those conversations with words like, can you believe that she, now no matter what comes next, it starts to sound like you are putting yourself in a position just a little bit better than them, right? 
James says that's not what humility does. It doesn't speak against. It doesn't put people in their place. It is a sin against pride, and God opposes the proud. So if we are to become like James, if we're going to see light from his perspective, we're going to deal with the sin of slander. Slander, says one author, is really the third tongue. And by that he means there are three ways in which slander hurts. First of all, it hurts me as I slander. What does it say about me when I need to say something bad about you to somebody else? It says about me, I'm not feeling good about myself. He's got a bad ego. He's having a bad day. He needs somehow to boost himself at your expense. Secondly, slander is a sin against the person you're talking to. Not the person you're talking about, but the person you're talking to. Why do I feel the need to tell you this? What does it do to you when you hear this about them? And then third, he says, slander is a sin against the person you're talking about. So the speaker, the one spoken to and the one spoken about, all are dragged down by the sin of slander. That makes a lot of sense to me. And so if we as community, and if I as a follower of Jesus want to be more like him, if I want then to become like him, there are some questions I ought to be thinking and asking as I move into this. And by the way, I know how, you know, I think only the Holy Spirit can do this kind of stuff in our life. Because once you get on a roll with your tongue, it's pretty hard to slow it or stop it, right? But there are times before you say it, you want to ask yourself, why do I want to say this? I mean, is there a lull in the conversation? Do I feel the need to boost myself? Why do I want to put you down? Why do I want to say this? And secondly, I want to ask, why do you need to hear me say this? Why do I think it's important for you to know this about them? And then the third thing I would ask is, how is this going to affect the person I'm talking about? What will they be in your sight after I tell you about them? So all of us are going to be impacted by this, and none of us are going to be impacted in a godly way by the sin of slander. And so when I start down that road, and I'm saying, well, did you know? I need to stop and ask. We slander sometimes and justify our slander by saying, first it's true, or second it's funny, right? I mean, we do. You say something and say, wow, you shouldn't say that. Yeah, but it's true. You don't have to tell the truth about everybody all the time, especially if you're telling the truth about someone to make yourself look better, to hurt the person you're talking to, or to hurt the person you're talking about. Cornelia Gabriels was a hundred, uh, celebrated her 100th year birthday last week. We were with her in Sheboygan, Wisconsin. And... Um, she was just a godly, sweet woman who, when I was her pastor like 40 years ago, um, I was preaching and I said something in a sermon that kind of had a, like a sort of snotty ring to it, you know. It just wasn't real. It wasn't very nice. Pastors do those things sometimes. I mean, it just kind of slipped out. And um, she came to me after the service and she was saying, you know, I was bothered by what you said about so-and-so in, in your sermon this morning. And I said to her, yeah, but it's the truth. And she said, you don't have to tell the truth about everybody. Especially not the kind of truth that puts them in their place. Well, thank God for Cornelia Gabriels. You know, I, I still hear her words ringing in my, and I think my face got a little red, and I know my ears turned red at that point. I mean, I was red because she was right. 
and I was wrong. You don't have to tell the truth. Now, the other thing that sometimes happens when you're wanting to move toward the direction of slander is it's funny, you know? I get this teasing thing in families. Again, you're a family of eight. Teasing is an art form in our family. Uh, some, some people say that uh, a tease, teasing is a Dutchman's love language. Uh, I don't know if it's true or not. But uh, sometimes it seems that way. You know, you just kind of have this teasing thing going. But, th but there's a line that you cross. And just to be able to laugh at someone when they are not laughing has taken your teasing in a whole direction that James says, don't go there. So I think the rule of thumb about teasing is, if I am laughing at myself, feel free to laugh with me. And believe me, I do enough foolish, naive, stupid things in my life, you are welcome to laugh because I'm laughing at myself. But if I'm in that form of behavior and not laughing at myself, you would do well to keep silence about my faults. And I'll do the same for you. Makes sense, doesn't it? If I'm laughing, laugh with me. But if I'm not, don't, because there's trouble down the road in that way. Do not slander, says James. It is a mark of a lack of humility and says there's stuff in you that isn't right, isn't good, isn't Christ-like, needs to be dealt with. The second thing he talks about in speech patterns is the sin of presumptuousness. Alec Motyer in his book calls this the sin of presumptuousness. Take a look at what James says next. Now listen. How many times has he said listen in his letter? You know, we heard about that, didn't we, earlier? Um, listen before you speak, before you become angry, right? Listen, he says, you who say. Once again, it's all about listening and it's all about saying. Listen, you who say, today or tomorrow, we'll go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why, you don't even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. And instead, you ought to say, you know, if it's the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast and brag. All such boasting is evil. Anyone then who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it sins. That's why I felt the freedom to call slander and presumptuousness a sin because that's what James says. If you know you shouldn't and you do, you're sinning. If you know you should and you don't, you're sinning. It is sin. What is the sin of presumptuousness? It is a sin based on the assumption that I can do what I want to do and what I plan on doing. I plan on doing this, therefore that is what I'm going to do. That's presumptuousness. Presumptuousness is the thought that what will happen today and tomorrow is entirely up to me. I am in control of my time and my life. Any of us who've been around for any length of time know that it only takes one phone call and your plans for tomorrow are completely shot. One doctor's appointment and the plan for the next five years of your life are completely different. One conversation, and everything you thought was going to happen next week suddenly isn't a possibility at all. We do not control our own time nearly to the extent that we do. So if we're thinking, today and tomorrow I'm going to do this and that, and we really believe that we're going to 
have the ability to control tomorrow this way and that way, we are wrong. It is a sin of presumptuousness, a sin of arrogance. Does that mean you shouldn't plan? Of course not. That's not what James is saying, does it? He doesn't say don't plan. He says before you plan, say this, if it's the Lord's will. Often in my planning, I use the Lord willing as a tagline. I mean, I do this all the time. I say, hey, you know what? Uh, next week, let's do this and that and the other. And then uh, we're just kind of a great time, uh, Lord willing. And I do. I mean, I, it's a sort of the tagline. That's not right. I mean, I'm talking to myself here, so you can listen in, right? That's not right. I should be saying, hey, God, if, if you will... I mean, you start with God's will and then you move to your plan, right? Rather than having your plan and then tag on God's will as the afterthought. So if you're living in the will of God, if you're saying, God, I want to do what you want me to do. I want to be where you want me to be. I want, I, I want to follow the, the desire you have for my life. And now I'm going to plan in that light. It is entirely different from saying, here's the plan, God. Would you please bless it if it's your will? Entirely different. We do not control our own time. I know what I want to do tomorrow, but the fact is tomorrow may be different entirely. And James makes a very clear, it gives us a very clear illustration of that truth. He says, your life is a mist. I mean, a mist is here today, gone tomorrow, right? I have a new cell phone, uh, I have a new application for my cell phone. It's not electronic. This is how my cell phone usually looks. I usually don't have it on and people say, why don't you answer your cell phone? I don't know. I just don't. So if you have a cell phone and, and the screen is fairly clear, not a lot of smudge marks out, if you, you just breathe on it, watch what happens, you know. I'm dead. I mean, the mist is gone. It was there, and it's gone. I mean, I saw it, and it's over. You're 25 years old, and you think you've got the next 50 years of your life, and Lord willing, you not only have 50 years, you have 75 years. But I will tell you, as the ripe old age of 71, life is a mist. It's like, where did it go? What happened to it? Everything I thought was going to last, it will be like this. Or I was going to have these cute little blonde-haired boys running around our house. And I'm always going to be young and able to smoke and do what I want to do with my life. And we're going to do tomorrow what I did today. I can eat what I want. I can do what I want. I can go what I want. That's not going to bother me. Where did it all go? I don't know. But guess what? The screen is blank. It's gone. What's left? What do I want? Whatever God wants. I want to plan in such a way, knowing God, my tomorrow is in your hand. I do not know how long I have. I do not know how long this mist will cling, and I can pursue what I want to pursue. But whatever you want, it is what I want, and it is what I want to do. So make our plans. Trusting, believing that by the grace of God it will happen. And when we make plans differently, we learn quickly. Often it just doesn't work. I mean, it, it, in the most mundane, ordinary ways, we make plans that don't quite work out that way. A nephew was being married in Atlanta, Georgia. He was pastoring in Elmhurst at the time. And uh, he was um, going to be married in Atlanta, and like ministers like to do, you know, you tag 
a vacation on the back end of something you have to do so you can kind of prolong the experience. So we, we flew down to Florida, had a great week in uh, Sarasota area, and I had planned everything very carefully. The wedding was at 1 o'clock. We got a flight out of uh, Sarasota at uh, 10 o'clock in the morning, and we had all kinds of time to make the connection so we could get into the wedding. Bought a new suit for the occasion, carried it down to Florida with us, and we were all set to go. The plane took off on time, and we got to Atlanta. Those of you who've flown into Atlanta know what Hartfield is like, right? Thunderstorms, 45 minutes, we're circling, waiting to land. Finally got on the ground, looked at the watch, plenty of time, it's a 45 minute drive from the airport to the wedding site. Got our rental car, got in the rental car, got out of the parking lot, something happened with the car, had to turn around, go back and change cars, threw the suitcase in the new car, took off, looked at my watch, we got enough time, it's an hour and 15 minutes, we're good. Half hour down the road, I said to Celia, did my suit bag make it into the rental car? She said, well, we got the suitcase. I said, yeah, I know, but my suit bag. I said, I don't know. Stop the car. No suit bag. It's in the first rental car. Turned around, back to the rental car, got the suit bag. Changed clothes in the restrooms. I'm changing clothes in my brand new suit. I'm hurrying, button, pulled it open, ripped the button off the coat along with a hunk of cloth. We showed up at the reception. This is literally the case while they were packing up dishes when the party was over. You know, you want a plan? Really? As carefully as you can? Everything's going to work just the way you want it? It's all going to happen because you want it that way? And you can even plan and say, this is what I'm going to do, God willing. I don't know. I just want you to understand that not everything we think we can control, we do control. And if we are living a life with Jesus Christ at the head of our life, we are wise to understand that it is God who holds our lives in his hands, our days, our hours, and our plans. So here's the point, right? If you know Jesus and you want to be like him so that you can serve like him, if you want to be a shining light and living water in a world that needs light and water, watch the way you talk. Don't slander. Don't build yourself up at somebody else's expense, either because it's true or it's funny. And don't assume that just because you plan it, it's going to happen because it all rests in your hands. Don't fall into the sin of pride that says, I'll say what I want and live what I want because that's who I am. It says, James invites you into a relationship with his brother in which by the power of God's spirit in your life, you, before you say it, understand why you're saying it, why they need to hear it, and what it will do to those you're talking about. And when you plan, you will begin by saying, God, I want to do what you want. Here's what I planned. May God help us all to be more like him. In Jesus' name, let's pray. Father God, thank you that you are so... Uh, I, I, I don't know if Brother James got the word that it's often how we talk about ourselves and others and how we plan that gives us an insight into what's really going on in our lives. Forgive us the sin of arrogance and pride, Almighty God, that um, lets us think we, we can do so much more than we really can, and it's all up to us. 
And give us humble spirits as we seek to become more like you so that our speech builds up others and honors your desire for our life. And we ask it of you, Jesus, because we love you and want to be more like you. And spirit of the living God, fall on us mightily so that we may be our Father's children in this world. Amen.